thought of us. We're in Romans 8 and going to finish Romans 8 as we're working our way through the book of Romans. What a wonderful chapter of the Bible as it describes God's love and how vast that love is. And as we're just reminded um, that nothing can separate us from that love. Um, So turn me to Romans chapter 8 as we examine verses 31 through 39 and work our way from 31 to the end of the chapter and take a good look at that awesome love. Ask when you find that to stand in our God's honor to read aloud. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that. Who was raised to life. Is at the right hand of God. And is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble. Hardship. Persecution. Famine. Nakedness. Or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Master, thank you for allowing us to gather once again, Lord. We gather not just to see each other, although that is good. We gather, Lord, to catch a glimpse of you. We call this a worship service. And you're the one to be worshipped. And I just pray as we continue on in this hour. That our sights would be set upon you, Lord. And that our worship would be directed your way. And that we might take some time, Father, to continue to focus upon you. We get busy and we get distracted and diverted. But Father, for now, may we look upon you. Because you are the one with hope and you're the one of love. So we look to you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I love Romans chapter 8 as we're reminded that there's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And then it goes on to tell us that all that happens by that work of of God in Jesus Christ where he, he took the one who was sinless to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin and sinful man. And and, and then we go through and, and, and we've just looked at the beauty of God's work and, and his, his love and, and how he's given us strength to, to live for him. And, and then we come to the end, these last verses that talk about the victory that we have in Christ. And, and his love, it's indescribable. It's impossible to really put into words. And yet we have such a wonderful description of that love that leads to our victory. 
It's a victory that we share with God because of the conquering work of Jesus Christ. And, you know, as I thought of this, I thought of, turn me to Luke 15. Uh, The other night, we actually had a message from this uh, parable that is one of the most beloved sections of Scripture that are found that's found in the Bible. Of course, I'm talking about the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son where the young man ran away. He decided he wanted to spend his inheritance. He wanted to live his life. And so he left home. He left a father who loved him. And he found himself in all kinds of trouble. <laughs> and then, then, he, then he, as he's eating with the pigs, he said, man, I just want to go home and I'll just be a servant to my dad, I, I I don't expect him to take me back or or, or to let me have all the privileges of being a, a part of the family. I, I you know anything's better than where I am now, and so he headed home and and he found a, a father with open arms who didn't wait for him to arrive but ran to him and hugged him and smothered him with kisses. Anyways, you get to the end of that story. I think it is significant. Uh, Let me just pick up at verse 28. It says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. (laughs) So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You will kill the fattened calf for him. You know, unfortunately, I'm afraid, guys, that people who are not in church, people who have not come to see God's love for them, when they look at church, that's kind of the view they have. They think, well, those people, you know, they look at me and say, look how they're living. Look at what they're doing. Look... I wouldn't be welcomed there. I wouldn't be loved there. I wouldn't be received there. And that's not God's love at all. God doesn't go after people who are merely sick or people who need to improve. God goes after people who need hope and life. And he gives it. And and I say all that. I want you to see the response of the father to his older son. My son, the father said, you are always with me. With everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, this section of scripture, it's not talking about someone who's just merely sick and needs to be made well. It's not talking about someone who needs to go through a self-improvement class or, or course in order to get better. No, it's not talking about resuscitation. We got to get, you know, we got to get the person up and moving about. It's talking about someone who is dead, who is without life. It says he was dead and now he's alive again. We're not talking about resuscitation. We're talking about resurrection. And, And there's a lot to get excited about. God doesn't meet us just merely as people who need to get better. He meets us as people who need to become alive. And and that's that's what you celebrate in 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 Romans eight. The work that was accomplished there in verse 3, as I mentioned, where he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. 
the, the sin issue was taken care of. And, and, and as a result of that, those who come to Jesus Christ by faith, experiencing His grace, it's not just resuscitation, it's resurrection. It's easy to get excited about that. It's easy to be awakened because of that. And as we go down through this section of Scripture, there's four questions that look at the beauty of this victory, that mark the vastness of this love. And we're going to look at these four questions this morning. As we start out here at verse 31, he says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? In the Greek, you could just as easily say, since God is for us. You see, there is a confidence. This, this is not a question, is, is God for us? No, it, rather, this, this is, comes out as a statement. If God is for us, who can be against us? Are there those who are against us? Yes, there, there are those who are against us. There, there are those enemies that we battle against. Uh, there's hardships. <laughs> There's, there's unbelievers that don't understand our thinking that, that are after this world system and, 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 and that think that we're just out of our minds. There's indwelling sin that we battle against and we, we fight against. And, and even death is described as the last enemy to be destroyed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So there is this battle going on. There's all sorts of fears, all sorts of foes. And I haven't even hit the, the spiritual realm with the devil and, and his demons that are after us, that are against us. Yes, there are those against us. But who can be against us, really, if God is for us? Look at verse 32. I mean, this is stuff that ought to turn you Pentecostal, get you to shout, get you excited. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What's he saying here? He's saying you can trust a God who held nothing back. He gave you his one and only son. What is most precious to him, he freely gave to us. <laughs> and that's the kind of God you can trust. That's the kind of God that you can fully love, that you can fully cling to, and, and, and that you can fully give your heart to. And it, 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 that, That's the kind of God that we serve. <laughs> what a blessing. Now, look at the next question. That we find in the in the following verse. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who will bring any charge? It, it could literally be translated from the Greek. It means to call in. Uh, uh, who will summon you? Who will impeach you? Who, who, who will bring any charge? Who, who can do that against you? And I love that next, that next statement. It's so exciting. It, it, the emphasis goes not... To the accuser, it goes to the justifier. See, here's the cool thing. The emphasis is not who may accuse you, because there are accusers out there. But who justifies you? Who says this one is safe? This one is forgiven. This one is secure. It's God. It is God who justifies. He is the one who gives the hope. Turn me to Revelation chapter 12. Last chap, uh, last book of the New Testament of the Bible. And in chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, there's a section of Scripture that tells us about a future hope. And, and in there, there is a reminder of what we deal with now. At verse 10, it says, Then 
I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ. Man, I love that. He's talking about the salvation. That's to buy one back. That, that's He's rescued us. He, he, he's, he's brought us the hope of heaven when we didn't deserve it. And, and that comes by that power won at the resurrection. <laughs> Beaten at Calvary and secured and, and, and clearly evidenced at the resurrection. And the kingdom of our God and the authority. It's Christ. And then he mentions the accuser. For the accuser of our brothers, and we know who he is, the, the devil, the, it means the adversary, the one against us. The accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night. And he's always accusing. He always, that's those voices that come and say, yeah, you're scoundrel. You're not worth it. You should just, you should just kill yourself. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares for you. That's not God's voice. That's the voice of the accuser. And accuses day and night. And, and there comes a time, I, I love this, is he's going to be hurled down. That rascal's going to get what he deserves. He's going to be defeated. And I want you to notice here in verse 11, it says they overcame him. How? By the blood of the Lamb. It's Calvary. It's what Jesus accomplished there. It's his death. That's a perfect death that paid for my sin. And those accusations, hey, they have truth to them. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story that that same blood, the blood of the lamb, it covers me. And he covers you. And there's a security there, guys. So we have to remember that that was one at Calvary. And then he goes on and he says, by the word of their testimony. Not only are we to remember it, it's to be on our lips. Hey, we need to proclaim it. You know, it's not about me. It's about the fact that Jesus loved me so much. He died for me and he has given me hope. And I want you to know about that hope. And, and it was that testimony that was proclaimed. And it says, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In other words, that hope was so secure, it was so strong, it was so steadfast, nothing could keep them from that love. That, that, that's what he's talking about here. Who's going to bring a charge? No one can because God is justified. God is the one who has proclaimed us safe. No accusation there. Just hope. Notice the next question, verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Who is the one that condemns you? He says, Christ Jesus. <laughs> Notice what he says about Christ Jesus. The one who died. Isn't it great? That, you know, it said years ago that Thomas Jefferson, he, he took out every miracle in the Bible. And sadly enough, his New Testament and the Gospels, the Gospels closed with and they sealed the tomb. Man, I'm so glad it doesn't stop. Death was not the final truth of Jesus Christ. Notice who died more than that. Thank God there's more than that. The one who was raised to life. He's conquered death. He's at the right hand of God. He is seated at the right hand of God. That means he is in his rightful place as majesty and king of kings and lord of lords. 
and that his work is, 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 is complete and can be fully trusted. And we don't have to keep coming back again and again to be saved. We don't have to keep coming back again and again to bring some sacrifice to appease God or to please God because his pleasure is through Jesus Christ and his work. And we rest in that work. It was a one-time work that covers it all. All of our sin has been paid for in full. Not in small increments. It's not a layaway plan. The, the plan was laid away at Calvary. It's taken care of, guys. Um, it, taken care of. And then, I love it. It says, and he's also interceding for us. That same Lord prays for us. He's in the gap for us. He's our advocate. Oh, man. What a blessing. I thought of this song, a new song used to sing, and I actually have it on a, my MP3 player and listen to sometimes when I, uh, I'm listening to it. And, and it's an old song called This One's With Me. Listen to the words. I was dreaming about heaven. I was standing at the pearly gates. We were all there. I was scared in the presence of one so great. I felt so worried, so scared. I felt like running away. I, I bowed my head. I, I turned to go. Then I heard someone say, Father, this one's with me. Part of the family. One of the reasons I died on Calvary. Father, welcome him in. I, I paid the price for him. Father, oh, Father, this one's with me. He says, I was dreaming about heaven when I looked up the gates were open wide. In the distance, I saw Jesus and I began to cry. Angels, robed in their beauty, were there to show me the way. And all of heaven singing when I heard his voice say, Father, this one's with me, part of the family. One of the reasons I died on Calvary. Father, welcome him in. I paid the price for him. Father, Father, this one's with me. Finally, we were there face to face. And he placed on me heaven's crown. I fell down on my knees. Laid my crown at his feet. Then he said to me, Father, this one's with me, part of the family. One of the reasons I died on Calvary. Father, welcome him in. I paid the price for him. Father, oh, Father, this one's with me. Isn't that great? When we're in heaven in that time of judgment, Jesus will just say, he's with me. What a hope. What a hope. One last question here to look at. It's one final fear that, man, maybe I won't make it to heaven. Jesus covers it. Here it is, guys. As we go through the end of this chapter, um, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, I just, I just march down through here. Just, just look at it. He shall trouble. You know, that old spiritual, oh, the troubles I've seen. We all talk about trouble. You got trouble, I got trouble. Oh, God's children got trouble, right? Hardship. Sometimes we think, I'm just not going to make it. <laughs> Persecution. And there are brothers and sisters, especially in other lands, other countries, that face such persecution. Famine. Those who are starving to death. Lack of clothing, nakedness. Danger. Feeling like we're about to be pounced on by an enemy. Sword. <laughs> Notice what he says. He comes down to verse 36. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep 
to be slaughtered. There's no victory in and of ourselves. He says we're, we're more like sheep. Sheep who, who were viewed as helpless. <laughs> Man, they're animals that desperately need a shepherd. They need someone to guide them, someone to lead them, someone to rescue them. Um, as I was studying through this, I, I found out this is from one of John MacArthur's books on sheep and shepherds. And I'll just read to you from his writings. He says, sheep, for example is the only animal in the world that can be totally lost within a few miles of its home. Most animals have been given by God an instinct to find their way back, an uncanny instinct to go home. For the most part, that is an element of animal life. Now within its closed range, the sheep has adequate skills. It knows its own pasture. It knows the place where it was born and suckled by its mother. It will invariably rest in the same shade every day. It will sleep in the same fold in the same place. It will stay in the home range more than any other grazing animal and not go very far. But if that sheep is taken into unfamiliar territory, it becomes completely lost. It has no sense of direction, no sense of orientation. It does not know where it is and does not know how to get where it's supposed to be. It cannot find its way home. In fact, lost sheep will walk around usually in endless circles, bang, continually in confusion and unrest and sometimes even panic. And sheep, by the way, are especially vulnerable when purposefully led astray. They are innate followers, very easy to lead them astray. Uh, he says, they told us in New Zealand about 40 million sheep are sent to market and led to slaughter each year, and there is one sheep that leads them to their death. Strangely enough, and not so strangely, that sheep in New Zealand is called the Judas sheep. That is a specially selected uh, male sheep who leads the unwitting sheep to the killing floor, unaware of what is about to happen. The sheep blindly fall in behind the Judas sheep and they follow him to the killing floor at which point a trap door on the side opens and he exits down to bring the next group. The door closes and they're slaughtered. Sheep went astray and are utterly lost and unable to find their way back and sheep can be so easily led to their death. It, it doesn't talk here about sheep that are getting ready to be sheared. It says sheep that are getting ready to be slaughtered. Hey, there's no hope of heaven. There's no hope of pleasing God. There's no hope of doing what is necessary in order to be on God's good side in and of my strength. I'm just a sheep. All I can do is go back. And that's not very scary, is it? Now, a lion, he roars. But a sheep goes, ah, not scary. Not powerful. But we have king of kings and whoop the lion of Judah. And, and, and he is our God and he is our hope. And he is the one who brings victory. And we just march Behind our king because <laughs> this one's with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. Amen. Hey guys, that's, that's, that's the hope. Notice what he says here, verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. <laughs> Man, we, it's that crescendo. It, it, it's, it's going to that mountain peak and having the most incredible view. <laughs> oh, man. It's at, at, at the end of any performance where there's a standing ovation because there's got to be some way to celebrate the greatness of it. And, and as we come to the end of this, and, you know, when our last breath on earth, what, how awesome it would be to quote these, these last words in verses 38 and 39 that remind us of the greatness of His love and how nothing can separate us and how heaven is an unconditional assurance. 
that there is no ultimate defeat where Jesus is. <laughs> there is absolute victory. Notice what it says. I am convinced. Convinced. Neither death nor life. Angels or demons. Neither the present nor the future. Hey, let's just summarize it. Nor any powers. Nothing. Neither height. Nor depth. Nor anything else. <laughs> In case we forgot something. And all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, is that good news or what? Amen? Um, one commentator wrote this about these verses. He says, The idea appears to be that this is an absolute conquest. We are not just defeating tribulation as we might defeat a boxer only to have to go another round later. We are not just defeating tribulation as we might defeat a nation only to have the citizens turn and rebel against us again. This defeat will be overwhelming and final so that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come, powers, height, death, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Hey, it's cool. <laughs> Two last thoughts for our close. When we lose what we expected, we receive something far greater. From God. We sometimes hold on so tightly to what we're so familiar with and what we so recognize. And yet, this is not all there is. The reason sometimes we feel as if we're not home is because we're not. There's more. There is to be in the presence of God. I don't understand everything about heaven, and I don't want to go in, you know, that's a whole other series we talk about heaven. But what's most important about heaven is who's there. My Savior is there. My God is there. My hope is there. My joy is there. He's there. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, Mere Christianity, wrote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. There's a longing for another land, another place, another location that not only feels right, but is right. And one last thought. When God removes what we consider valuable, He replaces it with something that is invaluable. I can't promise you that so much of what you possess that you'll always have. People that we love They've gone through that door we call death. We miss them. Can't believe they're gone. Or sometimes we lose a job. Or sometimes something precious that we have that's expensive to us and it breaks or it falls apart and, and we lose it. But praise be to God that what we're talking about here, it's, it's guaranteed for all of time. Jesus is secure. Heaven is forever, and hope is eternal. And guys, that's, that's what this is about. And um, who wants to miss that? And I guess as I come to the end of this, it's just always a thought, what? There's nothing more important than turning to Jesus and to, and to finding that security and that hope because there is no security like that anywhere else.
everywhere else. Disappointment is a big possibility, but not with him. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for a chance to look at your word. To be reminded how great the Father's love is for us. (laughs) Oh God. What a tragedy if someone missed that today. It's not enough to hear about it, Lord. We are called to to go there, to meet you, to find that hope. And it happens, you say, by humbling ourselves, by confessing that we are not big enough, strong enough, able enough, and we need God to step in and to help us. I pray this morning, Father, that you might speak and that someone here might say, yes, God, I'm ready to humble myself, to hear your voice and to obey Father, uh, just speak. Lord, you love us all more than we'll ever grasp here. One day we will get it when we're with you. Because your word says that for now we look through a glass darkly. or, Or it's a poor reflection as in a mirror. But one day we'll see you face to face. How good that day will be, God. For now, Lord, you know where we are. There's an altar maybe we need to come and pray at to pour out our hearts. Maybe there's a decision that needs to be made. Maybe, as I've already said, to trust you for the first time. But maybe it's to come back home to you. Maybe we're not where we need to be, and and you've been dealing with us, and you want us to come back. Like that father in, in the prodigal lost son parable. God, you're waiting for us. You love us. You haven't condemned us. And, and you say to the others, uh, hey, he, he was lost, now he's found. He, he was dead, now he's alive. God, do that kind of stuff among us, Lord. We ache for that and we need that. And we need you. So I pray in this time we call invitation, Lord. We welcome you to just show up, Lord. In Christ's name we pray.